Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Paul Mumon, and I'm the uh, lead pastor here at Genesis. And um, let me just ask you: Have you ever, have you ever come to the end of a uh, great book, or maybe a great movie, or something? And when it hits the end, you—I mean, you're just—you're just, you're just kind of sad that the story has finally come to an end. I mean, have you ever seen a movie like that, read a book like that? Maybe it was a trilogy, and so you kind of knew, well, this is finally the end. Like, I remember uh, one of the first, well, the first movie that I ever uh, went to, ever ever went to as a kid, went to the theater. Uh, It was the original Superman movie. And uh, Superman, I, I looked, came, back, came out back in 1978, and so I was three or four at the time, and I remember going to that movie with my dad and loving it and sitting on his lap and eating popcorn, but when it was over, I cried. I, I cried because I didn't want to end. I mean, I was so wrapped up into the story that even as a little kid, I didn't want to see it uh, come to an end, and it may be true. It may be true that I cry in movies, even today I'll I'll cry in a movie. It's not uncommon for me uh, to shed some tears in a movie. Uh, Maybe maybe I did cry in the Muppet movie that came out just recently. You know, maybe I cried at the end, you know. It was just the reunion of Kermit and Gonzo and Fozzie, and I could do without Miss Piggy, but it was just, you know, it was an incredible ending to that movie, and so my kids are laughing and having a great time, and I'm looking off to the side because I got tears coming out of my eyes. I can't let my kids see me crying in the Muppet movie. But, uh, you know, today uh, we come to the end, uh, to the final chapter uh, in the story, and our goal was uh, to read through and study the Bible here, to study the story this year. Uh, We started way back in February, and now we find ourselves today wrapping up with the book of Revelation. And, well, how do you begin to summarize something like that? Uh, summarize something like maybe what many of you have read. Well, I think, I think that video did a really great job of summarizing some of that, that at the, end, at the very beginning of time, God created people. Uh, he created you and me in his own image for the purpose of being in relationship uh, with him. But sin fractured that relationship, and uh, it resulted in our separation from God. And what we've been reading about for the past 31 weeks is God's intentional effort to get us back. And Jesus made that possible. I mean, he's the hero of the story. I mean, it's the cross of Jesus and the empty tomb that make it possible for us to find our way back to him. And so we're just about uh, to finish with the last page of God's story, you know, found in the Bible or found in the story. But I hope you know by now that God's upper story uh, doesn't end with the final chapter. Uh, But what it does is it just keeps going and going and going forever. I mean, we have this promise that one day Jesus Christ will return, and for those who have put their trust in Him as Lord and Savior in this life, uh, we will live with Him forever and eternity. You know, the Apostle John captures a great picture of that moment when we finally meet Jesus face-to-face in Revelation chapter 21, uh, starting in verse 1. He records it like this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. It's it's a picture, a glimpse of heaven and our eternity with our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Well, we wrap up the story today uh, with this final chapter in your storybook, a, a chapter called The End of Time or the Book of Revelation in your Bible if you want to follow along with us. And uh, for those of you that are unfamiliar with the last book in the Bible, what Revelation does, what the Book of Revelation does is offer us a glimpse of how life on earth as we know it will come to an end, but also a quick peek of what life in heaven with God will be like. Uh, the Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation, uh, also known as the Beloved One. John was a disciple of Jesus uh, a, and a very close friend of his. And by this point in history, John had been exiled to the island of Patmos for boldly preaching uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ rather than give in to the demands of the Roman Empire. And while he's in exile, God gives John a vision or a revelation uh, regarding the present and the future. And so with the book of Revelation, John is merely describing the vision that he received from God. And can I just say this? Man, it was a vision. I mean, if you've had any interaction with this book at all, you know that. I mean, you think you have some crazy dreams at nighttime? Like, I mean, think about this vision. And, you know, what John does is with the book of Revelation, he just provides for us a description of what's currently playing out behind the scenes uh, in the physical world, uh, he, he describes God and Satan at war and gives an account of Satan's attacks and maneuvers in this world, but that's not all it is. I mean, Revelation is also a promise that in spite of the battles, in spite of the hard times, in spite of the persecution and the challenges faced by so many Christians in John's day and also countless Christians up until today, that no matter, no matter what happens, the bottom line of Revelation is uh, if you're following along with us, the bottom line is that our God, he wins. God wins. You see, the battle was decided once and for all on the cross. And because of that, as Christians, we don't fight for victory in this world, but we fight from victory. And that makes all the difference. And I'll be honest. Uh, and if you've read this for yourself, if you've had any interaction with it at all, you know that Revelation's a little intimidating. I mean, it is. It's a challenging book, and it's a challenging book uh, for a number of reasons. And uh, for those of you that have been around church for a while or maybe been around this book before, uh, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you know that or may not realize that there are several different ways of interpreting Revelation, and these interpretations are born out of different millennial views. Uh, there are some experts of Revelation that will say that it should be taken figuratively, and then there are others that say that Revelation should be taken and understood uh, well, whatever I said first, literally and then figuratively, I kind of lost my train of thought there. There's just two sides of it. But hey, part of what makes uh, Revelation challenging for us is that we're only given a glimpse. And you got to keep that in mind. I mean, remember, John didn't get the whole picture. And we don't have the whole picture to look at either. It kind of it kind of reminds me uh, of those pictures uh, that you used to see in kids' activity books or magazines or, or discovery books. Uh, do you remember these, that you would get a close-up picture of something? Uh, like a really close-up shot, and, and so you might see some particular objects, but you really can't make them out, and it's not until the next page when the, the picture is pulled back, when the camera is pulled back, that you realize, oh, it was a stack of pencils, or it was a pile of coins, or something like that. You know, because we don't have the whole picture, much of Revelation is a mystery. And honestly, I can't help but wonder if some of it's by God's design, that even in the mystery of Revelation, He's increasing our anticipation of what's to come. You know, listen, regardless of what you've been taught about Revelation, uh, regardless of the rumors or the opinion of you bring in of it here today, uh, regardless of what denomination you grew up in, the Bible college you attended, or your particular millennial view, when it all comes to an end, 
whether it be with your life uh, in this world or, or with Jesus Christ coming back, the most important thing that we need to make sure of is that you are standing with Jesus. I mean, the only thing that matters, the most important thing is that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ when he returns. And of all the things that we don't know, I mean, think we know or speculate or argue about in Revelation, I can tell you one thing is for sure. Uh, Jesus was speaking about the end times before his death on the cross. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, speaking about the end of things, he says, hey, but about that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. See, I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what degree they hold. Uh, what book they've written, what seminary they attended, what TV channel they preach on, or what vision they believe they've received from God outside of the Apostle John, of course. Jesus says, no one knows. No one knows when the Father is going to return. Only God the Father knows when Jesus will come back. And that is why the bottom line of Revelation begins with God wins. And the most important for the question uh, for you and me that we need to wrestle with is, do I have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, when John received um, this vision and, and these words way back in the first century, life for Christians uh, and for the church in this day was awful. Uh, Nero ruled uh, Rome at the time, and he paved the way for the slaughter and the execution of Christians. He had them beheaded. Uh, he gave them over to be devoured by wild animals. Uh, Christians were dipped in oil and burnt alive before crowds of people. And so, I mean, if you were a Christian living in this day, I mean, you lived under a constant death threat. And the Apostle John, he's in exile for his faith, and he's the last living apostle. I mean, all the others had been killed. And so can you imagine? Like, can you imagine the sense of defeat and fear in God's people? I mean, for them, it feels like Satan's winning. You know, the dragon is winning. The beast has come out of the abyss, and he's going to prevail. I mean, it looks like the church, God's hope for this world, will soon be eliminated. And so you can see how John's vision... And how his words make all of the difference. I mean, he reminds Christians that things aren't always as they appear. And if you know anything about John, you know that John remembers a Friday. That 2,000 years ago from this date, there was a Friday, a dark Friday, when our Savior Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross. And John was there. And not only was there a Friday, but there was also a Sunday too. And because of this, he knows. And his message for the church and for you and me is that our God wins. And so he records in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, you know, as he is seeing and hearing this vision for the first time, he writes, he hears these words, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. Just like the song we sang a moment ago, the Lord Almighty. You know, Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters in the Greek alphabet. It means that our, our Savior, our Lord, our God, Jesus Christ, is the beginning and the end, that he is eternal. Uh, he is the ruler over the past, the present, and the future. I mean, that phrase almighty comes right out of Old Testament writing. It's a, it's a military imagery. It's, a, it's an image or a statement of victory. I mean, once again, John shows us that the bottom line of Revelation is that God wins, but he also shows us, and it's in your notes too, that Jesus Christ is king that he is king, that he conquers death, and he conquers the dragon and the beast, and he conquers the legion of false prophets and, and, and all who sponsor death and promote evil. See, the book of Revelation doesn't have to be a book of confusion. 
You know, I mean, it's a book of hope and encouragement, too. I mean, it doesn't need to cause fear. I mean, it can bring relief. I mean, it's a happy ending uh, for all of uh, followers of Jesus because God is victorious and Jesus is king. And he continues writing along those lines. uh, Chapter 1, verse 12, John continues. Here's his vision. He says, hey, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands. Now, here John begins to describe this vision of Jesus Christ in the very center of it all. Among these lampstands, you know, these lampstands represent uh, the seven churches of Asia Minor at the time. And then he continues in verse 13, and he says, And among the lampstands was was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was like uh, white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. Uh, His feet were bronze, uh, like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining all all of its brilliance. Do you see what I'm talking about when I say there's some unusual imagery in here, right? And for us, we look at it, and it seems a little bizarre, but this sort of writing, while it seems unusual to us, wasn't so unusual in the first and the second century. And it's a spectacular scene, too if you'll use your imagination. But what does it mean? Well, John sees Jesus in the center and in control of all things, this one who protects and guides, and he's full of great love and compassion for all of his people. I mean, the long robe that John describes symbolizes that Jesus is our leader. The the gold sash that is around his chest indicates that he is our high priest. He is the one who goes into God's presence and obtains our forgiveness Uh, The white hair reminds us of his wisdom and his divine nature. The blazing eyes symbolize that he will judge all evil. And verse 15 says that his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. Uh, John says his voice was like rushing waters, like those rushing waters that go over a cliff, like this huge waterfall. I mean, can you you just, can you begin to imagine? I mean, can can you even sense the power, you know, the awesome wonder that John is trying to describe? I mean, John reminds us that Jesus is king and Lord of all that he's in control, and that no matter what happens in this world, he will lead his church from victory all the way until the end. You know, even, even if you're new to church, uh, even if you're new to all of this, or, or maybe you've heard before about how the book of Revelation is full of numbers and symbols and pictures, pictures of halos and thrones and uh, lightning flashes and scrolls and harps and bowls and incense and horses, it is. And again, it's, it's confusing. I mean, even for Christians, I mean, it's a bit of a mystery. And on the one hand, you might think to yourself, you know what, is it even worth it? I'll just kind of throw revelation out, but I got to tell you, it's worth your time. I mean, it's worth your time to read and to study. I mean, did you know that this is the only New Testament book that promises that if you read it, you'll be blessed? I mean, it's in the very beginning of Revelation. In Revelation 1-3, John says, blessed are those who read it, take heart in it, and find hope in it. And so from beginning to end, John just keeps coming at you with these images, and there's a sun that becomes dark, uh, there's a moon that turns to red, and then all of a sudden, there's what John calls a new Jerusalem glowing and descending from heaven, and a river of life, and the lake of crystal, and the tree of life. And again, I mean, you got to remember this, God gave John a peak. I mean, all he got was a glimpse of heaven, but it was just enough to blow his mind. I mean, just enough that John could write down for us and give us a sample I mean, just a sample taste test, if you would. I mean, we all appreciate taste tests, right? Huh? Yeah, you ever, you ever go to Sam's on a Saturday in a wonderful thing? 
I mean, I'll be real honest. I mean, we, we might have gone there with our kids on Saturdays when they were younger and just made a lunch out of it, all right? You know, a little lunch on Sam's. You, know, you go through and you taste all of these things. You get real excited when they got some pizza, you know, or something like that. But, but seriously, what, what does a good taste test do? It leaves you wanting more. And with the book of Revelation, John, what he does is he just increases our appetite or, or our, you know, your anticipation for Jesus so that so maybe that when you are down and depressed or maybe when you're hurting, uh, maybe when you're burned out or worn out or frustrated or, or afraid that you'll remember that God wins, Jesus is king, and also that he's coming back that Jesus will return. He's coming back. Jesus even said that in Revelation 22, way towards the end of the book. John records Jesus' words towards the end of this vision when Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. And blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Uh, he goes on to say again in verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon. Now, it may not be soon according to human timing. I mean, again, these words were written. John wrote these words 2,000 years ago, but it is a promise. It is a promise that Christ will return. And as a follower of Jesus, you and I can look forward to his return and to a perfect place that he has prepared for us, that he has in store for us in heaven, where we will be with him and he will be our God and nothing will ever again be the same. You know, as we bring uh, the story uh, to an end, uh, this effort that we've been in since way back in February, um, I just thought maybe a few things to share with you that I think are appropriate and really tie in today, but really speak across what we've been talking about for these last months for most of this year. They're not in your notes, but the first is this. You know, the story in Revelation reminds us that our God keeps his promises, that our God will keep his promises. I mean, he has, and he's done this. We've seen this in his word. I mean, all throughout the story, for the past 31 weeks, we've seen that God wants to redeem us. He wants to redeem his people, and he wants to bring us back into right relationship with him. And that message has never changed. I mean, it's never changed since the beginning of the Bible. I mean, God's never lost control. Uh, there's never been a plan B along the way. I mean, Jesus was God's plan from the beginning. And the book of Revelation is where we see his upper story intersect with our lower story as he once again reminds us that Jesus is control. So no matter how difficult it may be, no matter how discouraging it gets, we know we're reminded that our God wins. And one day, at God's appointed time, Jesus will return to take his children, to take his people back with him to heaven because God keeps his promises and Jesus is coming back. And because he'll return, you need to know that someday everyone will stand before him. Everyone will stand before God. I mean, the Apostle John describes how everyone will one day stand before God. The, the book of Hebrews says that it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment, that we will all, every person, who has ever lived in this world will stand before God. And for the unbeliever who rejected God, it will be a long, painful, and even draining reminder, a depressing reminder of a life maybe filled with poor choices. Uh, for the Christian who also made poor choices along the way, it'll be a different experience though because if you're in Christ, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, the day of judgment will not be a day of condemnation. It'll be a day of celebration as Jesus Christ will stand with us before God on our behalf. The Apostle John paints a picture of that moment. Um, back to Revelation 4, 
Uh, verse 1, he says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had uh, first heard speaking to me, like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once, he says, I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. I mean, right here in the middle of the universe, John describes God sitting on his throne. And at this particular moment, uh, the eyes are not on the beauty of heaven, but instead, everyone's eyes are drawn to the center of that throne because that's where God is. You see, God has a place there in heaven. And can I tell you something? He's got a place there for you too. God has a place uh, there for, for all people, for anyone uh, who invites Jesus Christ, who accepts and trusts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Which leads me to this question. Will you be ready? Are you ready? Are you prepared for a moment like that? You know, this is a question that we asked of our five-year-old recently. We, uh, we spent part of our fall break at Disney World, and I'll let you decide whether that's a heavenly or a hellish sort of experience uh, for any family with all the crowds and all, but um, our kids are finally at the age when they can ride most of the rides at Disney World, and if you're familiar with the Disney parks at all, you know that there's a roller coaster at the Animal Kingdom called Expedition Everest. Anybody ever been on this ride before? All right, it involves some hills, it involves some going forward and some going backwards, and uh, well, Jenny and I made the decision that Kate was ready for this ride. And it took about five seconds into the ride before we realized we had made a terrible mistake. And I was sitting with Kate, and again, she did a little, she did okay for the first part of it. But when it started going backwards and going through the dark and down these hills, we quickly realized that she wasn't ready uh, for this particular ride. Again, it took about five seconds to figure it out. Kate wasn't ready. But seriously, will you be ready? I mean, are you ready to stand before God one day? And um, all throughout the story, the Gospels, Jesus tells, he tells a bunch of stories uh, for people, helping them understand that there are, there is ultimately two eternal destinations in life. He describes a place called heaven, and he describes a place called hell, and there is no in-between. Um, Jesus describes that moment. John records this in Revelation 21, verse 7. Uh, he, he's describing that moment, Judgment Day, but these are in the Lord's words. He says, those who are victorious on that day, on that Judgment Day, will inherit all this. He's talking about heaven, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But then he goes on to say, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And he says, this is the second death. Now, what John does here is he identifies two groups of people standing before the Lord on Judgment Day. First of all, there are those that he calls the victorious ones, those who have a relationship with the Lord. And he says they will inherit all of the blessings. They will inherit heaven. But then John goes on to use some really strong language. And he says the word cowards or unbelieving, those that have turned away from God. And then he explains it's those while living on earth that refused to call Jesus Lord and King, and he says, they will be thrown into a fiery lake. Now, let's just stop there for a second. Like, this is a tough reality to deal with. I mean, the unbelieving. You know, I remember, I recall a time, I was living back in Kentucky, and I got a call to come to a hospital, and 
Um, I knew a member of this particular family. I didn't know the older man that I was coming to visit, and he was sick, but this this family member that I knew, she said to me as I was coming, hey, we'd really like for you to share the gospel with him. He's never invited Christ to be a Savior. And so that's a tough place to be, a tough position to be put in. But I went forward and I went in and I spent some time in this room with this man, just getting to know him a little bit and talking. And then sure enough, at what I thought was maybe the right time, I just kind of started telling him the story and just kind of laying out for him the gospel and Jesus' part in it and the forgiveness of sins. And well, at the very end of that conversation, I went for it, and I just said to him, I said, hey, would, would you like to invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Would you like to receive his forgiveness today? And I'll always remember that moment because he looked me square in the eyes, and with tears coming down his eyes, said, no. Just a clear, confident no. And that's a tough reality to deal with, and, you know, because the truth is that in the time that we have on this earth, Um, People will choose to love God or reject God. And the sad part is that it's not just bad people that reject God. I mean, as far as I know, this man wasn't a bad man, but for whatever reason, he had no need in his life for Jesus. Now, please don't misunderstand the day of judgment and the reality of heaven and hell as evidence for an unloving God. It's It's not that God doesn't love. But I think C.S. Lewis said it well. He said once that, you know, that, that God demonstrates his love and that he allows you and me to make choices for ourselves, that he doesn't force, uh, God doesn't force his love on us, but that we get the opportunity to choose whether we want to embrace God, whether we want to embrace Jesus or reject him, and that even in all of that, God demonstrates his love. And so you can embrace that love and you can choose God and you can choose his forgiveness or you can reject that love. And what does God want? I mean, what's his desire? Peter said it well in 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 9. He writes it like this. He says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, but instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Hey, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I mean, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know that he is patient and he is waiting for you. And maybe part of the reason that he has you here today is to hear this message, to hear this message and to respond to it. But please know and see and hear, and as Peter continues in verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. He is coming again. It says, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And so what about for Christians? Like, what's our part? What are we supposed to do in the meantime? Well, Peter continues. He says, hey, what kind of people ought you to be? He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives. That's our call. That's the mission that he's put upon us. I mean, God wants all people to repent and to call Jesus Lord. But for reasons that I won't pretend to understand, he gives us free will. He gives us free will to choose him or to reject him. Hey, listen, I want to say this as simply and as clearly as I can so there will be no doubt. There will come a day of judgment in this world where you and I, every single one of us that has ever lived, will stand before God. And if you make a decision in this life before you die or before Jesus comes again to seek his forgiveness and to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've got nothing to be afraid of. On the day of judgment, Jesus will stand with you. He's forgiven you. He's paid the penalty and the punishment for sin, and you will live forever with God in all of eternity. 
but for those who reject the Lord in this life and choose a path of their own, the Bible teaches that their eternal destination will be found in hell where they will be separated from the Lord forever. And if you're a Christian, I pray that you find that incredibly unsettling. And not unsettling in that it changes your opinion of God or causes you to question any of His love or His grace, but unsettling in that I hope it increases your passion for service in this world. Can you see why it's so important, you know, so critical that you and I, that we live our lives driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, can you see why it's so important that you pray for people in your life who do not know Jesus Christ and why you need to share your story with everyone that you can? This is an urgent matter. God has called his people, his children, his church to be light in this world, and Jesus could return at any time, and so we need to do anything and everything that we can as people and as a church to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Are you ready? And for those of you here today who have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to know and be reminded that he is waiting for you, but he won't wait forever. And he loves you, and he sent a son to die for you. I mean, and that means that you don't need to clean up your act before you come before him. Jesus paid the price. He paid the price for my rebellion and my sin and yours too. I mean, he provided a way to forgiveness. And if you're sitting here today and you don't know him as Lord and Savior, I just pray, I just invite you, don't delay any longer. I mean, reach out to him. Open your heart to him. I mean, pray to him. I mean, pray these words. You know, God, I want Jesus in my life. You can do that today. You can do that right now. He gets it. All right, that's what he's waiting for. He is patient. He is waiting for you. And if you do that, I pray, I believe that he'll come racing into your life and he'll forgive you. And you won't have to worry about your future ever again. And heaven will be yours and you will live with God for all eternity. You know, John says it so well. I mean, the same John that recorded this vision in the book of Revelation in John 3, 16, he wrote these words too. You've heard him before. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's the promise. The bottom line of revelation, of the story for that matter, is that God wins. Jesus is coming again, that he's king, and he is coming back. And then, heaven. And I figured, you know what, we try and preach on Revelation, uh, the whole book of Revelation on one Sunday morning. Why don't we throw heaven in there in the conclusion, right? We'll just see if we can do a little of that too. But if you would, uh, for just a moment before we wrap up, do you ever, ever wonder what heaven will be like? Do you ever imagine such a question? I mean, you know, a, a thorough study of the Scriptures and Revelation provide evidence that we will we'll enjoy a close relationship with the Lord and others. I mean, we'll eat and drink and work and play and travel and worship and explore heaven or what John calls the new earth. And, you know, some say, some say this, hey, if you want to get a picture of heaven, imagine the most beautiful places you've ever seen on this earth and then multiply that beauty exponentially. Now, some of you might be pleased to know that I don't think heaven is dancing around on clouds and wearing, you know, angel outfits and halos, unless that's your sort of thing. And if it is, I'm sure there's a place for you, you know, in heaven to experience such that. But, but honestly, when it comes to heaven, the Bible doesn't offer a ton of details. And so what John does is John does some work in describing what he's seen, but remember, he only gets a glimpse. 
And so his best description of what he saw comes right out of Revelation 21. Let's look at it again, starting in verse 1. He describes, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And then he says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And then those famous words that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Not a lot of details, just a glimpse, but I like the way a friend of mine suggested We look at it. He suggests that instead of trying to understand heaven by asking or even dreaming about what it's going to be like or what it'll look like, that maybe we do better to follow John's lead. And John asks, what's not there? I mean, it's almost like he says, hey, here's what heaven is not like. And, and, And so see for yourself how John basically says, you know, there's only so much I can say, but I'll tell you what I know isn't in heaven. And in verse 4, he says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Jesus says, I am making everything new. And what do we learn about heaven from that? Well, based on what John says he saw, heaven means no more cancer, no more divorce. No more rejection, no more loneliness, no more depression. Heaven is no more tissue boxes, no more band-aids, no more casts, no more crutches, no more wheelchairs, no more pacemakers, no more radiation, no more chemotherapy, no more Parkinson's, no more bloated stomachs. Heaven means no more suicide bombers, no more school shootings, no more metal detectors, no more x-rays, no more MRIs, no more anxiety medicine, no more phone calls in the middle of the night, no more crosses on the side of a road. Heaven is no more miscarriages, no more child abuse, no more rape, no more tornado sirens, no more hurricanes, no more typhoons and cyclones. It's no more tsunamis, no more earthquakes, no more pandemics or epidemics, no more coughs, no more colds, no more flu shots. Heaven means no more double chins, No more love handles, no more cottage cheese thighs, no more bad breath, no more body odor, no more deodorant, no more deodorant stained shirts, no more shaving, plucking, or waxing, no more Rogaine, no more stub toes. Heaven means no more health insurance debates, no more politics, no more elections, no more yelling, no more fighting, no more bullying, no more gossiping or backstabbing, no more traffic, no more road rage, No more racism, addictions, no more hormones, no more crash diets. Heaven means no more legalism, no more injustice, no more infertility, no more infidelity, no more insecurity, no more infomercials, no more inoperable brain tumors, no more security systems, no more amber alerts, no more embarrassing moments. It's no more autism, no more sensory issues, no more child protective services, no more needles, no more surgery. It's no more taxes, no more bills, no more bill collectors or mechanics, no more dentists, no more lawyers or plastic surgeons. Heaven means no more funeral homes, 
No more nursing homes, no more orphanages, no more waiting rooms, no more animal hospitals, no more treatment centers, no more courtrooms, no more broken homes, no more slums, no more human trafficking. Heaven means no more divorce papers, no more pink slips or speeding tickets, no more foreclosures, no more motionless ultrasounds, no more child-sized caskets, no more death, no more sadness, no more loneliness, no more crying, no more pain, because he who is seated on the throne says, I'm making everything new. And what's greater than the absence of all of that? Heaven means that we will be with Jesus. And that is far greater than anything we could ever imagine. John ends Revelation, the story, and all of Scripture with his cry, with his prayer, come Lord Jesus. Can we make that our prayer today? Will you stand with me?